Welcome into Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. I'm Ann Thomas. On this edition, the Detroit Music Hall has unveiled a $122 million expansion project. We'll talk to Vince Paul, the president and artistic director. The Salvation Army is stepping in to help Metro Detroiters renew their Medicaid benefits. Jamie Winkler, executive director of the Harbor Light System, stops by to explain how this works. Big money is coming to several local universities to train engineering students who want to work on semiconductors. We've got the scoop on that. And you'll meet Roberto Kalb, the new music director at the Detroit Opera. A great show about what's happening in and around the D, coming up right after these messages. Welcome to Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. I'm Ann Thomas. The Detroit Music Hall has unveiled a $122 million expansion project, and it is a wow. Vince Paul, the president and artistic director, is here now to talk with us about this project. Welcome to the show, Vince. Hi, Ann. Thanks for having me. I mean, the pictures are just remarkable. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what's going on here. I know. It's kind of been like uh, under wraps for so many years. This is 10 years in the making, Ann. And um, I think that the inspiration uh, really came from a, a couple different places. One is, uh, you know, we teach uh, music education as a service provider in DPSCD for decades. And, you know, a, a lot of parents come to us and say, where can my daughter continue after school with clarinet lessons? And we were like, hmm, right, that's kind of hard, right? <laughs> and then there was also, uh, you know, our, uh, we do a lot of concerts and Broadway and ballet. But, you know, um, we kind of came to this, this idea that today's patterns and audiences have really changed and, and they really have different expectations so, you know, we started to laugh and say, who wants to see Bad Bunny in Grandpa's Theater? It's like really time, you know, right? I know, because we are an old theater. 1928. <laughs> and so, you know, it was really time. It's been 80 years um, since uh, Detroit has uh, built a modern concert hall that, that could hold like 1,900 people. Um, so, you know, this one is, is, is done with the patron in mind and really the patterns and expectations of today's audiences. And then we started thinking about where would you put, you know, uh, a, a, a centralized sort of welcome center that would have, say, an all-venue um, discount ticketing kiosk, you know, much like TKTS in sure. New York. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're really staring at that parking lot next to the music hall, <laughs> you know, adjacent to the music hall, because, you know, we have... 40 million visitors that come right down that Madison throat because you've got four sports teams, three stadiums and seven theaters essentially adjacent to each other. And there's a reason for that because no matter how you triangulate, you know, Detroit or Southeast Michigan, the most convenient meeting place would be right there in the theater district. Moreover, right there in the corner of Randolph and Madison. And right now it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a dilapidated parking lot. Right. And, and, right, and it's being seen by 40 million people a year. 
And, you know, and people are people, you know, they, they tend to paint the whole 136 square miles with their perception of Madison. <laughs> it's interesting, <laughs> you know? isn't it? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that like, you know, thousand feet right there is really critically important to the perception of Detroit. And if you believe that perception drives economy, we need to make that thousand feet really sing. So uh, we, 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 we chose that exact location and then we really started to double down on, like, what are the gaps, you know, in the city's programming? Or what can we elevate in the city's programming? Well, Detroit has, you know, produced more performing artists of world renown than any other community in history. So we did look at Nashville. And we did look at Memphis. And we did look at New Orleans. And, like, how are they promoting their musical legends? And, and, and is that stimulating the economy? Is it inspiring, you know, young musicians? So we're like the capital of music. <laughs> you know, it's what exactly we do here. right, yes. And it, it really was about um, creating a portal, if you will, for people to be able to engage into the city. So you see, you're starting to flesh out all of the different um, categories and ideas, all revolving around the music industry. And in the end, it turned out to be 12 businesses. Now, one business actually is going to have many businesses in it, and that would be the third and fourth floor. That's going to be music industry offices. So in those offices, you'll find everybody from record companies to sync rights, to lawyers, to merchandise folks. You know, it's creating an ecosystem for music. You know, we have 350 businesses in Southeast Michigan uh, that do like $2.5 billion annually, but you don't know where they are. (laughs) Now, this is a very creative idea, Vince Paul. Can you describe what the building will look like? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I like to remind people that Detroit is the only UNESCO city of design in the United States. Oh, I did not and, know that. Uh, I, yeah. And in a lot of that has to do with our architecture. So if you really look at our skyline and, and, and you see your, you know, your see Howard Cranes and your Yamasakis and your Serenins and, you know, it, it, it made sense to us to try to get the the preeminent architects working today that made sense to us and i'll be darned um todd williams uh is from detroit and we it it was quite a discovery because he's currently doing the obama presidential center in chicago he's uh, he just finished doing the 800 million dollar you know redesign of geffen hall at lincoln center in new york and he's never done anything in detroit so we just approached him on it, and he just really felt like, yeah, it's time. It's time in my career that I take everything I've learned over the 60 years and and, and, and create an icon for the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a couple icons, you know. Sure. I mean, the fifth is cool, and Renaissance Center is certainly tall. But I think this will really – this is what we're aiming for, at least. We're, we're trying to shoot to the top, like – Here's an icon for the world to see Detroit. This is going to be a destination, right? And that's, that is really our intention. And, and it's interesting because we're using music. You know, 
I can take you to someone's apartment in Berlin, and, and they're listening to Masharia Moore on the radio, and there's like three products designed and <laughs> manufactured in Detroit. <laughs> you know, we really are influencing culture worldwide. But I don't think people know how to engage in Detroit. You know, we're kind of this enigma. And if you look at the past like 15 years, as Detroit has sort of elevated and elevated, I think this building, this welcome center, this portal, is in sequence um, for that. That effort of, of Detroit stepping back out onto that world stage. Oh, I love it. Now, when do you think it'll be done? Oh, I know what it will be done. <laughs> you hope it will be you. done in the fall of 2026. <laughs> it's true. You know, we we just didn't want to announce um, before we had all of our ducks in a row. So we're going to break ground in the first quarter of 2024. Uh, we're going to open in the fall of 2026. Uh, it, it it it's been it's time now to 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 come out and and let everybody know how they can engage in this new building. It really is. I like to say this building is you, Detroit. Mm. What, what, what we're trying to do is just create density and have you know all of the the existing cultural institutions and everybody part have a place where they can promote what they're currently doing. That is to say. How do we get more notoriety for all of the different attractions that we have to offer in Detroit? Right. Because we're really not going to move the needle individually or unilaterally. But if we put all of our attractions on display, I think it will be uh, revelatory for um, a lot of the folks who live here and also just a great discovery for our visitors, you know. Visit Detroit would tell you that we have almost 20 million business visitors, but you know, they they come and have their meeting at Ford or Lear, and then they sit in their hotel room, you know, waiting for their plane to take off. They're not engaging in the, in the city. And that's because they needed a way to engage into the city. So that was really one of the top mission points of the building is really to put it all together and say, this is us. And this is really uh, a, a, a cultural uh, 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 treasure trove. Yes, it's awesome. Vince Paul, President and Artistic Director of Detroit Music Hall. Good luck with this project, and we cannot wait to see it. We really appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks so much. Stay with us. You know, we're going to hold workshops over the next three years for uh, how people can engage into this new building. It's a community center. It's really, that that's the best term, man. It, it's a community center. Yes, it absolutely is. Vince Paul, President and Artistic Director, thank you for your time. Coming up next, the Salvation Army is joining forces with several partners to help Metro Detroiters renew their Medicaid benefits. We'll explain why and how they're going to do this in just a few minutes. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. I'm Ann Thomas. Now, the Salvation Army is partnering with several health services to help Metro Detroiters in need renew their Medicaid benefits. And they're doing this by using their bed and bread trucks. Jamie Winkler, Harbor Light System Executive Director, joins us on Opportunity Detroit now to explain how this worked. Jamie, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Anne. Um, boy, it's been a great week uh, with the Salvation Army Bed and Bread Truck. Every single day of the year, the Bed and Bread program is out in underserved communities across Detroit. We have 60 different locations. And on average, we serve about 3,500 meals a day off of our bed and bread truck for those that um, are, are needing nutrition and those that are struggling to make ends meet. And what's our focus right now is what's happening uh, for those who uh, may be new to insurance and those who are on Medicaid. Um, this is a, a time of year um, where people need to go through a renewal process for Medicaid. Um, with the Affordable Health Care Act and, and what happened a few years ago and people that are maybe new to insurance, um, there's a renewal process. And um, that's what's happening um, over the course of this calendar year. Um, those that um, have enrolled need to uh, go to my bridges or uh, call um, the state um, and find out what time of the year is their renewal time and go through this process to ensure that um, if they still qualify for Medicaid, that their insurance continues. Jamie Winkler, how are you using the trucks to get people involved and make them aware of this issue? So interesting. It is. It is. You know, the, the Bed and Bread program is unique in that it's serves people via um, our mobile soup kitchen. And um, again, those that we're serving um, tend to be in pockets of Detroit that um, transportation could be a barrier and just a number of other barriers. And so um, we, in us doing this uh, effort, we have a wonderful opportunity to invite some of our friends to join us. And that's what happened this week is uh, we had a, a bunch of uh, medical um, uh, providers, including um, Henry Ford Health and MedNet One and Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, who joined us on our trucks and built awareness throughout this week about um, uh, Medicaid. And if you're on Medicaid, um, that there's a renewal process. You know, the challenge is um, this renewal process was put on hold during COVID. Sure. And now that COVID is, is officially not in its crisis, uh, this Medicaid renewal process is back online. And uh, so those that are on Medicaid uh, need to go to MyBridges or simply call a phone number. And if I can give that out, Absolutely. it's 888-367-6557. And uh, there will be someone on the phone that can help uh, you go through this renewal process. So, Jamie, does everybody have a different date for the renewal process? How does that work? Yes, your Medicaid renewal date is all based upon the date that you originally got on Medicaid. Okay. So that could be March. It could be July. It, it was whenever you originally got on. And that's your annual renewal so you're urging people who are on Medicaid to take a look at this and make sure that they go through the renewal process because you have to. Yes, the Salvation Army is a champion uh, of uh, building awareness and helping people, um, you know, with their health outcomes. And there's nothing more important 
than than our health. And um, you know, the state is concerned that, uh, and they're guesstimating that maybe one third of those that are on Medicaid may not be on Medicaid um, during this renewal process. Interesting. So it's important that we spread the word to all of our friends and our neighbors who may be on Medicaid uh, to go to My Bridges and find out when is your renewal period and to go through that process so you can remain uh, on Medicaid if you still qualify. Our guest here today on Opportunity Detroit is Harbor Light System Executive Director Jamie Winkler. Now, Jamie, are you finding as you're out and about on these trucks throughout the year that some of the people that you serve don't really care that much about medical coverage or even medical care? No. Um, In fact, uh, what we are discovering this week, we served 1,500 people. Wow. Uh, Can you believe it? Off of our bed and bread truck. And that was made possible because of our great friends uh, who who came alongside of the Salvation Army bed and bread trucks and built awareness. And uh, we are really grateful. But I have to tell you, about 50% of those that we are serving um, off of our bed and bread trucks were unaware that they had to go through this process, mm. and they are very concerned. And so here we are, um, the Salvation Army, working with wonderful um, healthcare partners to help build awareness and provide practical assistance to go through this renewal process so their insurance can continue. It is very important for all people, especially those that are underserved. They want to remain insured. Oh, that's great. Now, tell our listeners a little bit about the Salvation Army Harbor Light System. What you do for people, Jamie? That's a great question. The Salvation Army has been faithfully serving uh, Eastern Michigan, and we're, our office is here in Detroit. We have a, a strong emphasis uh, here in Detroit. But for 85 years, we uh, uh, have led substance use disorder treatment services, as well as homeless services. And our bed and bread truck is really the beginning of our continuum of care. It all starts with a sandwich and a, a friendly um, a friendly worker who has a message of hope. And for those who are homeless and on the street, those who are struggling with addiction and, and mental health or, or they need some assistance with even primary health care, the Salvation Army is a champion to help build awareness, to encourage, and to provide prompt access to care. It is not uncommon for the Salvation Army Bed and Bread Program to bridge people who are on the streets looking for shelter uh, to either have them come into our shelter program or to uh, bridge them to another shelter. And those that are looking for help um, with treatment and uh, looking for primary health care needs, we certainly um, are a catalyst for that. And we bridge people, uh, meet them where they're at, give them encouraging words and support to get the help that they need. So in reality, Jamie Winkler, the bed and bread trucks are absolutely perfect to help get the word out about renewing the Medicaid benefits. It's a great idea. It is. It is. And um, this is the heartbeat of who we are as, as the Salvation Army and as an organization. The Salvation Army serves every single zip code in the country, uh, in the state of Michigan, 
And we are here to help people um, stay housed and keep uh, their family fed, keep the heat on during this winter, um, and to provide practical assistance uh, for those that need help. And it's an honor uh, to to be part of such a wonderful organization and to work with such wonderful people. You know, this week we worked with MenNet One, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, Henry Ford Health, Meridian, Molina, HAP, and Authority Health, all of us coming together uh, with one common purpose and vision, which is to help those in need to keep their medical insurance. Jamie Winkler, Harbor Light System Executive Director, thanks so much for your time today. It was great talking to you and all the best with this effort. Thank you, Ann. Appreciate you. Coming up next on Opportunity Detroit, big money coming to several universities, including Wayne State, to train students interested in semiconductors. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. Now, last Monday, officials from across the state gathered at Wayne State University to announce more than $3.6 million in a grant and matching funds to support state-of-the-art semiconductor training at Wayne State University, along with Oakland University, the University of Michigan, and Washtenaw Community College. Dr. Amar Basu is a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Wayne State University, and he's here now with us to explain how students will be trained, are trained, with regard to semiconductor training. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Professor, how does this work? And how many students actually are in this program and are interested in learning how to be part of the semiconductor world? You know, so this is a new program that the MEDC just gave us funding to start. So um, we hope to have, we hope to be training uh, ideally thousands of uh, semiconductor engineers, mm. uh, you know, within the next five years. And this is going to be a joint program, as you mentioned, between uh, several universities in the Southeast Michigan area. What will the training entail? What will it look like? So the training will involve uh, three uh, three different areas. Um, so our goal is to bring a lot of the semiconductor, um, a lot of the semiconductor expertise uh, back to Michigan. Michigan's already one of the top uh, top ten workforces in semiconductors um, in the country, but we want to incorporate even more of that by training a lot of our, um, not only students in the area, but also working professionals in the area as they look to upskill and transition into a lot of these high-tech roles. Um, if you think about, you know, a typical um, modern vehicle, a typical modern vehicle has over a thousand of these little electronic chips, and those electronic chips are made of semiconductors. Oh, really? And then these chips are actually assembled onto these uh, small boards called printed circuit boards. And those boards form these electronic modules that are really the backbone of our, our modern vehicles. They do everything from engine control to uh, braking and safety systems, uh, autonomous driving, climate control, you name it. And it's not just limited to automotive. It's also any type of electronic device you can imagine, everything from your iPhones, to, um, you know, some of the home appliances that we use. Everything is a smart electronic device now, uh, nowadays. So we need to build up that infrastructure so we can 
build those devices more here at home instead of, you know, in over the over the last few decades, they've been a lot of the manufacturing has been done overseas. And we're looking to bring that back home with the MEDC program and also the U.S. CHIPS uh, Act that was passed last year. That's so interesting. Now, do you think you will have a lot of students that are extremely interested in this program, engineering students who say, oh, no, this is a good field to get into? I think we will. And, you know, the reason I say that is uh, because I, I talk to students at our university, obviously, as, as a faculty member here, and students are interested in high-tech jobs. They're interested in, you know, jobs that pay well. And they're interested in doing things that can help the world and, you know, make the world a better place. And semiconductors play such an important role in all of those areas. You know, if you think about, you know, one of the big things that people come to Detroit because they want to work in the automotive field. The automotive field is such an exciting time right now. And, um, you know, one of our industrial advisory board members, uh, Ford, they've said that in the past they've hired primarily mechanical engineers. But in the future, they actually plan to be hiring primarily electrical engineers because the cars, as you know, they're, they've become computers on wheels. <laughs> right. It's amazing. Yeah. And so um, not only um, automotive, though, uh, we're looking at things like, um, you know, biomedical technology. This can be, become very important, with, especially with our aging population, uh, alternative energy and uh, power generation, uh, smart grids. You know, all of these areas that are really important to the future of our uh, society and U.S. competitiveness in the world all comes down to semiconductors. (laughs) So I think that's one of the reasons why students will be very excited about this. They have good reason to be. Now, is this a four-year program? So they go into the engineering school and they go through the four four years of undergrad? That's a great question, and that's one of the things that we're actually is very unique about the career craft program that is that we recently got funding from the MEDC to do. Career craft not only focuses on students, but it also focuses on working professionals. Oh. So it's not going to be your traditional four-year degree. It's actually going to be a certificate program that is aligned with the needs of industry. Uh, power electronics, very important for the future of electric vehicles, for example, um, and smart grid and a lot of the alternative energy technologies that are going to become big. Another area is uh, microcomputers mm. and analog and wireless uh, circuit design. These are also very important. And the third area is sensors. You know, our uh, automotive devices have all sorts of cool sensors in them that allow you to detect when the car is going one way or the other. I'm just giving you a few examples, primarily from the automotive industry, just because it's so important in this area. So those are some of the priority areas that are, have been identified by industry. But we are going to work with our local partners, our, you know, a lot of the automotive OEMs, a lot of the companies that build and manufacture these electronic devices, a lot of the suppliers that build parts for them. So this is going to be not just an effort that's done at a university in a silo. Mm-hmm. It's going to be done in partnership with multiple universities and with the industry so that our, our education priorities are aligned with our industry needs. How hard would it be, Dr. Amar Basu, to change careers and go into this? So let's say you were, I don't know, you were in the media business. Could you then go and get the certificate or would you need more classes before you got the certificate? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, there are, um, 
I think to be, to be honest, I think there would have to be some, it would be helpful to have some sort of technical background. Sure. But a lot of the people who do great work in hardware and software aren't always from your traditional engineering background. You know, I, I had a friend once who was one of the best um, uh, software hardware engineers I knew, and he was an art history major. So mm, <laughs> there's no there's no hard and fast rule that um, that you'd have to be from an engineering discipline. But a lot of the students in our program tend to be from engineering disciplines. Uh, so that being said, um, you know, the thing I mentioned before about um, uh, a lot of these companies hiring a lot of electrical engineering students, one of the goals of this program and one of the priorities of the MEDC is upskilling and reskilling. Mm. So folks who are traditionally trained in, for example, mechanical engineering could be able to come into these programs and, and be able to transition into roles in the semiconductor industry. You know, Dr. Basu, you sound like a professor who is able to take complicated engineering ideas and facts and really help the students understand what you're talking about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. that that's what we try to do as, as educators here. Um, but, you know, one of the points I, I want to reiterate on is, is that, you know, sometimes in, in the past, um, you know, universities sometimes have a reputation for working in silos. And mm. one of the things that I'm really excited about in this program is the the thought of, like, working with industry partners, yes. getting them excited mm-hmm. about how we can, you know, uh, uh, basically empower our next generation workforce here. And uh, that's probably the thing I'm, I'm most excited about and my colleagues here at Wayne State are most excited about. Well, the other thing about that is you're able to help the students actually be part of the industry. So you're actually helping them get a job down the road, I would think. Yeah, that's, that is our goal. I mean, on one hand, one of the goals is to make Michigan a powerhouse in semiconductors, given how important semiconductors are in Michigan's right. economy. Yes. And the other goal is to build that workforce that that, that economy needs. So it's, it's a really tough problem to solve. So you, ha- you have to be able to you know, the state is looking to create the programs that create the economy and also the workforce that feeds that economy. And um, it's exciting. It's an exciting time in Detroit, and it's really exciting to be a part of it. Well, all the best to you, Dr. Amar Basu. He is a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Wayne State University. Thanks so much for the time. It was really great talking to you. Great talking to you, too, and and, and uh, congratulations for all the wonderful work that uh, you and WGR do with Opportunity Detroit. Thank you. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. Coming up next, you'll meet the new Detroit Opera music director. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. I'm Ann Thomas, and I want you to meet Roberto Kalb. He is the Detroit Opera's recently appointed music director. Welcome to the show, Roberto. Thank you very much for having me, Ann. So you just conducted your first performance, and I want to talk first, though, a little bit about you. Where did you come from, and how are you doing in Detroit? Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I'm Mexican, uh, born and raised in Mexico City, and I was there until I was 18 years old. Uh, I studied piano as a kid and and, uh, got into composition and conducting when I was a teenager. (laughs) And then I moved to the state to begin my college studies. So I lived in San Francisco 
uh, for four years. I studied at the conservatory there, and then I, I actually moved to Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I got my master's degree. Um, and then later on, I moved to Boston and then back to Ann Arbor to get another degree. And uh, it's a nice full circle thing for me to be back in Michigan and in Detroit. It's awesome. So talk a little bit about your love of music. How did that develop? Since I can remember, I loved music. In my house, my father always played uh, records, and he used to love to play uh, the three tenors and the CDs of of Pavarotti uh, in the house, and he used to blast them, I remember, when I was a little kid. And um, there's also in my family, uh, I guess it's in the genes as well, my grandfather wanted to be a conductor when he was uh, a teenager as well. Um, he wanted to move from Mexico City back to, to Vienna. Uh, originally, my family on my dad's side was from uh, P- Poland, basically. And uh, But his mom cried for weeks on end, so he didn't end up going. Uh, so he became a banker, actually, in Mexico. But uh, it's in the genes very much. And so when I was growing up as a kid, I asked my parents for piano lessons. And, uh, of course, they they got me into piano lessons. And then when I was a teenager, I started playing in the school band. Uh, I I played trumpet. And really, playing in an ensemble was what sparked it for me. I fell in love with the movie soundtracks, actually. I fell in love with the the music of John Williams. And for a long time, I wanted to be just like John Williams. I wanted to compose music for film. And so a lot of my background is in composition, actually. My first degree was in composition in San Francisco. And it was in San Francisco Opera that I watched my first opera live. It was Fidelio. And I fell in love with it immediately. And so then I led the double life of composer-conductor for a long time. Uh, But uh, always I had a a very deep interest in opera, even though my, my... Conducting training was was purely symphonic. Uh, I always had a deep, deep passion for opera. Roberto Kalb, you sound like you are so talented. Can you also sing, too? Um, Very poorly, (laughs) very poorly. (laughs) Uh, But as a kid, actually, I used to sing. I used to sing along uh, with the three tenors uh, CDs and the talent shows and all these things, so I used to sing as a kid. And, uh, of course... uh, I ended up marrying a soprano. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife is an incredible uh, Armenian, uh, very, very successful operatic soprano, Mane Galoyan. As the newly appointed music director at the Detroit Opera, what kind of plans do you have for this fabulous place? Well, one of my big missions was to feature the orchestra a little bit more. Uh, well, not a little bit. I wanted to feature the orchestra more. And as part of that initiative, I started planning out ways so that the orchestra could be out of the pit mm-hmm. and performing more uh, on stage. So last night we had this wonderful Arias and Overtures concert where the orchestra was on stage. And coming up, we're going to have the first uh, instance of the Beyond the Pits series, which is a a series where the orchestra plays mostly symphonic music, actually, and goes out into the community. So we're going to Western High School on December uh, 16th, and we're performing big, big standards like the Hebrides Overture, Mendelssohn, and uh, Copeland Appalachian Spring. 
uh, alongside uh, some vocal works with our wonderful resident artists, uh, sing- singing artists uh, at Detroit Opera. So that was part of it. And also, uh, alongside with Yuval and Christine, tried to program things that were very interesting and challenging. So at the end of the season, uh, we are going to perform uh, The Cunning Little Vixen by Janacek, uh, the first Janacek opera that's been done at Detroit Opera. And that's a, it's one of the most difficult pieces in the entire repertoire for orchestra. And we have an incredible uh, cast coming to, to sing the, the role. So I'm really, really excited about the, the things coming up. We also have um, uh, Breaking the Wakes by Missy Mazzoli coming up later this season. So it, it's really a action-packed uh, season, and, and I'm really, really enjoying it. And those two resident artists and board members that Roberto is referring to are soprano Christine Gerke and artistic director Yuval Sharon. You know, you talk about going out into the community. That is so smart because you're taking opera to the community, and once they see how fabulous everyone is, they're likely to come to more shows at the Detroit Opera. That's that's exactly the plan, and and specifically for this first uh, Beyond the Pit series concert, I wanted to go out into the Latino community, um, and we're doing it at the Western High School. Uh, I thought that that would be a great way to, like you say, you know, you go and you introduce yourself to the community, and then I, I want them to feel welcome to come into the opera and come back to the opera and, and visit us at, at, at the opera. So. We have many more plans for uh, not this season, but uh, the following season to continue this this work. And I think it's it's crucial to to really build our audiences and our community. And Roberto called people should know, too, that the Detroit Opera has some amazing singers, both in-house and singers who come from all over the world to sing here in Detroit. I think the level of singing at the Detroit Opera is what you would find at the very top theaters in the world. And I'm not just saying that, I really mean it. We have currently in-house, uh, as I mentioned before, our resident artists, which are um, basically artists that are professionals and ready to, on the cusp of major careers. So we have them usually on uh, secondary roles or covering major roles. And so they will be featured in the Beyond the Pit series. But also, our guest artists are just outstanding. I mean, just to mention the, the Cunning Little Vixen cast, I think that you probably can't find a better cast for Cunning Little Vixen anywhere in the world. Wow. Not at the Met, not at the Vienna Staatsoper. I think Detroit has the best Cunning Little Vixen cast around. That's awesome. Roberto Kalb, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to meet you. And all the best in this new position with the Detroit Opera. You are the music director. Thank you again for the time today. Thank you so much, and it's a pleasure. And I'm Ann Thomas. Thanks for listening to Opportunity Detroit. Enjoy the rest of your day.